0: you ready yeah. you ready all right hold on here we go
1: what's going on everyone this is the my ag nation podcast i'm travis brown with the eagle and on this week's episode we'll revisit the quarterback room, the weekly segment we have with Nick Starkel breaking down the X's and O's of Texas A&M football. This week, he talks about preparation for that Alabama game, and he looks at the success Texas A&M's defensive front has had with the pass rush. Also, we'll talk to Nick Kelly of the Tuscaloosa News about that Crimson Tide team heading into the big game this weekend at Kyle Field. So, without further ado, here is Nick Starkel in the quarterback room. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle here inside the uh, Eagle newsroom. But over there, that guy's in California. That's Nick Starkle back again for another week to break down uh, what Texas A&M has been doing on the football field. Nick, how's it going? Uh, How did uh, Corona Del Mar, the team that you're the passing game coordinator, how'd they do this week?
2: Ah well, I'm doing great. I'm doing great uh, because it's been a couple of days since our game. Uh, I was frustrated, definitely (laughs) licking some wounds uh, over the weekend, trying to figure out where we went wrong, what we could have done better, but we lost a tough one. Um, Guys fought really hard, so we're proud of those guys. Just, you know, need a little bit more execution.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, the the, the people who are licking their wounds after this weekend is... Arkansas's offensive line and K.J. Jefferson a little bit because Aggies got in there and, and sacked him uh, seven times. It's 14 sacks in two games. It, it's just a stark contrast from where the defense was against Miami several weeks ago. I know you were able to look a little bit at what this AM and uh, defensive front is doing. Wh- why have they been so successful in the last two games, especially getting to and getting, getting the quarterback down?
2: Yeah, so uh, basically, just looking at their defense, and, and from a quarterback's perspective, you know, a lot of QBs start off and they look, okay, who are the guys that I'm gonna have to worry about on the D line, and when you're looking at Texas A&M's defensive line, and it's it's not a knock on them, but it's hard to pick out just one guy that you're saying, okay, we got to slide the protection to him, we got to make sure we get a hat on him. It's really all of those guys, and it's not necessarily the talent that they're playing with but it's their hustle and their finish. I mean, you watch these sacks that are happening, and it's not just one guy getting to the ball and taking down a quarterback. It's two, sometimes even three guys jumping on a pile and getting in there. They are playing relentless defense. And some guy gets tired, boom, they pop another guy in there, and and they're just able to continue to rush that passer and just create havoc in that pocket. Uh, One of the really big things that I noticed is that even when they have a three-man or four-man rush, they're very, very sound in their coverage on the back end. And so you got to tip your hats also to the defensive backs, linebackers that are backing coverage that are creating basically coverage sacks, and the defensive line is just finishing the play for them. I mean, when you're a quarterback and you drop back there and your first, second, third reads open, those D linemen are breathing down your neck. And so it works off of each other. Defensive backs, they're getting great coverage. They're covering those receivers. Defensive line is continuing to eat up front. And then you've got defensive linemen who are twisting, coming off of stunts, working off of each other. You know, when they've got um, – we talked about it. You know, you've got a man side and a zone side of a blocking scheme. When you're on that man side of that scheme, your defensive coordinator dials up a twist with the defensive end and the defensive tackle, one of those guys is going to get free. And then all of a sudden that O-line is now at a disadvantage and you've got a free runner coming at the quarterback. Um Another thing that I noticed that I thought was really impressive. And actually I was just watching it. You end up getting a pick six off of it is if that defensive line does not get there in time, they are so quick to get their hands up and a tip ball is a pick ball. As a quarterback, you're always told, Hey, tips and overthrows are going to be interceptions. So you might as well start playing free safety after that happens. And we sure enough, we saw that in the Arkansas game. And, uh, I was thinking about this, um, and, and I, <clears throat> I don't want to, you know, speak for the defensive line, but um, losing Coach Price this past offseason, you know, he was a coach that I had. He, he helped recruit me. Um, the intensity that they're playing with, I think, is honoring Coach Price and the legacy that, that he had not only as a player – as a coach a mentor as a father figure to a lot of these guys at defensive you know at the defensive end the defensive line position um and and so i'm just so proud of these guys i mean to have that adversity in the off season and i I can't even imagine the emotional turmoil and just just everything that's going on with that and to me it looks like these guys got together and they said look we are gonna play our asses off you know no don't don't want to uh offend anyone but 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 they really are playing with their hair on fire. And and I think that they're honoring Coach Price with that. And so my hat's off to them. And I absolutely love watching those guys get after a quarterback.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll get back to a little bit of the X's and O's, but you bring up a good point there. And I want to give you a chance to to throw out there, what are some of your uh, favorite Coach Price memories?
2: Oh, okay. So every single year, I'm trying to get invited to the (laughs) D-line cookout. Okay? (laughs) I, every single year I'm like, hey, Coach Price, if you got any extra, you know, I like to eat too. (laughs) And So I think my favorite memory was, uh, was one year he actually brought some back for the quarterbacks. And uh, I get to see that he truly is a grill master. And every year I'm seeing the videos of the D linemen, they're going over they're They're getting all the brisket, all the smoked sausage, everything. And I'm like, oh, like. If I was just 45 pounds heavier and a lot quicker <laughs> off the ball, maybe I could have been invited <laughs> to that cookout.
1: You're just putting on cool. weight to get to the cookout. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. maybe was, put a hand in the ground
2: as a tight end and then make the transition to DN by my <laughs> fifth year, sixth year. It's the reverse Max Wright.
1: Um Exactly. So, exactly. so uh, what was the best thing you ate? Do you remember?
2: Oh, geez. It was probably the brisket, honestly. Yeah. Like, you can't go wrong with Brisket. And so, uh, you know, I, I just remember always seeing him around um, the field. And no matter, like, who you were, it was like, hey, quarterback. What's going on, quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was just so great. I mean, I'm injured. I'm on the sideline or something. And I could always count on him to bring my spirits up. And that's just the type of man that he was. Um, you know, he was truly a light in that locker room and a light in that coaching staff.
1: Of course, of course. So back to the, the pass rush strategy. You know, a, a lot of talk early in the season about is DJ Durkin, the defensive coordinator being aggressive enough, uh, bringing more guys than just uh, three or four. I know you looked a little bit the last two games. Would you classify the game plan as aggressive or was it more that the, the guys in the front were just doing their job e- exceptionally well?
2: Right. I think that uh, most defensive coordinators, when they hit a certain point on the field. So as an offense, you, uh, your scouting report goes, OK, you've got your base downs. So that's, you know, starting the drive. You're on your own 20, first and 10. Uh, you're on your own 25, first and 10, second and short, kind of those type of things. Those are your base downs. Uh, most defensive coordinators are going to have an identity for that. Um, with, with Coach Durkin, it's not a lot of blitzes and man coverage behind it. It's mainly a lot of just, hey, let's play a sound coverage and and let the rush kind of work, Um, you know, a lot of run during that. So you want to be sound defensively. You don't just want to send everybody at once. But then you get to a certain point in the field where maybe it's you're in field goal territory. You're on the 30-yard line now. And a defensive coordinator can make a decision. Am I going to be aggressive here and possibly knock them now out of field goal range? Or am I going to stay back and just kind of bend, don't break? I think that Coach Durkin has honestly come up with a good game plan to not only get after the quarterback, but have some sound coverage behind it. You know, you're seeing some blitzes with some zone coverage, which is scary. But if your defense is sound, you've got your guys with their eyes in the right place. Coach Fisher says it all the time. See a little, see a lot. See a lot, see nothing. I think that you're seeing defensive backs with their eyes exactly on their right keys. So they're able to cover – while they're still blitzing six guys, or they're, they're sending a, a fifth you know, guy off the edge, being able to create these unique pressures as well as be sound behind it in the coverage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so uh, going into this Alabama game, it's an Alabama team that's given up uh, a, a lot of sacks this year. A&M has come in with a lot of sacks. Uh, what is it about... Uh, that matchup that could be so intriguing this week, especially with uh, a guy like um, uh, Milrow, quarterback, who is a little dual threat and can get around a little bit. H- how, as a defensive coordinator, I know you're not one, but how do, how do you kind of game plan for knowing that you have maybe a little bit of an advantage there?
2: Yeah, as a, as a defensive coordinator, I think that I'm trying to send my four rushers, just four, as much as I can, but create, free hitters off of that. And so we're going to do twists. We're going to send the defensive tackle in front of the end and the end's going to scoop around or we're going to send both the nose and the tackle and swoop that end. You know, they call that a long stick where now the defensive end isn't just switching with the tackle, but he's going all the way to the a gap switching with the nose guard. And so I'm going to create some of those opportunities to get our defensive linemen to be free hitters up the middle. I think the, the hardest thing for, um, a defense playing a quarterback that is as dynamic in the run game as Jalen Milrow is, is letting the interior D lineman get pushed to the outside and not being able to fill up that gap. Uh, This past weekend against Mississippi state, you saw Jalen Milrow do that. I mean, he drops back and he ends up taking off down the middle. And when you've got a quarterback running down the middle, they just get, I mean, they get North and South super fast and it's really hard to rally and tackle. What you saw against Arkansas and what what a And M's defense was doing was they were creating pressure up the middle. Even if they were only rushing three, they were still creating a wall almost that KJ would have to then run around. And when you get a quarterback running laterally, now it's a lot easier to go pursue towards the football. You've got that sideline to work with to kind of push your quarterback to the sideline, and they've got to make a decision: Are they going to cut back? Because when they do cut back, well, now that D line's chasing them down, and that's some big guys that are hitting you, and so. As a quarterback, you feel a lot more comfortable just being able to step up and go now versus, oh, man, I've got a wall in front of me. I've got to now get around them, and now I'm eliminating half of the field that I can throw to, and I've got all those guys now pursuing me. And so I think the biggest thing is if Jalen Monroe does get out of the pocket, make sure he's getting outside and he's not just knifing it right down the middle against your defense.
1: Yeah. And, and you've mentioned it several times throughout this. Jimbo Fisher uh, in the press conference yesterday was talking about it's not necessarily from a defensive coordinator's perspective about being aggressive or not aggressive. It's how you affect the quarterback, whether that's uh, sending a blitzer, whether that's uh, decoying a blitzer and, and pulling him back or uh, changing coverages Uh Define that a little bit, if you could, um, what affecting the quarterback is in different ways other than just sending blitzes um, and and how a quarterback can be affected by the different things that defenses can do uh, in a, I know that's broad, but in a Reader's Digest uh, uh, version.
2: Right. So as a quarterback, every single play you have your pre-snap look. So you're looking at the defense. Um, Usually you're looking at a boundary safety or what we call the boundary triangle. You're looking at a boundary safety, the boundary corner, and the boundary outside backer. So the reason that we look at that is because those are the three guys that are going to probably move the most that will tell you what the coverage is. A field corner is, we always call our corners our liars. So a field corner could start off and they could be pressed up on that wide receiver. But then by the snap, they can bail because it's so far away. They could bail out of that thing and what you saw pre-snap was a complete lie and they're not running that defense actually over there to the field. The guy that can't lie is that boundary safety. So boundary safety, imagine you've got a safety on the hash and his responsibility for that play is a deep third in the middle. He's going to have to start creeping over there right before the snap in order to play a middle of the field, high safety. And so, Safeties can't lie to you because they just have they have so much ground to cover that not a lot of guys are, are physically talented enough to start the snap on the hash and push all the way to cover the other slot receiver on the other side. So taking a look at your boundary triangle, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm playing Jalen Milrose, I'm giving him a pre-snap look that is completely different than the post-snap. I'm going to make him digest and try to interpret what a defense is doing. After he looks down to catch that snap. So I'm going to give him something pre-snap. Maybe looks like a cover two. Maybe it looks like it's cover one man. And then as soon as that ball is snapped, I'm spinning those safeties or I'm dropping a corner out and I'm changing that coverage. And, and I'm getting into something that was not the look in a pre-snap. And so sometimes that looks like, okay, I look like I'm getting two guys off of the left side. I go down to take the snap. All of a sudden they bail and now I'm getting two off the right. I think that that's how you affect a quarterback Um, like Jalen Milrose is you make him really, really think about what's going on and change that picture of his, like what that picture that you take in your mind pre-snap versus what the coverage is post-snap.
1: So I believe it was 2019. You got a shot at Alabama when you were at Arkansas. Uh, I, we went in and talked to all the players, and it, it, it happens every year with every team across the SEC, with every media uh, uh, core They go in and say, "Hey, it's Alabama week." Is that is this is this something? Is this is this bigger? Is this how how do you prepare? And the answer is always, it's the same. We think about it the same. Nameless, faceless opponents. From a guy who has faced Alabama and been in Alabama week multiple times. Is it as nameless and faceless as it seems? And I, I know that's the the, the goal, but, but what does Alabama week look and feel like from the practice field inside the locker room?
2: Okay, so it starts off with the scouting report meeting. And when you get your scouting report meetings, what they'll do is they'll introduce the whole defense, uh, kind of the philosophy, the schemes, uh, their base coverages, their base blitzes, third down, red zone, all that type of stuff. Uh, but the biggest the biggest thing that, that I always took away was they would have basically a picture of the defense. And it would have circles with their numbers and then their name, height, weight, class underneath it. And those would be color-coded. And so you'd have green, which was a good player. Yellow or orange, which was, hey, he's a returning starter. Guy can play a little bit. Red was, okay, this guy's a freshman. We don't really know what he is. He's kind of a liability. And then we had gold. And gold was, okay, this guy is probably a first-rounder, um, one of the most talented guys in the country. And multiple years, sure enough, you pull up that uh, that scouting report for Alabama, and everyone is either a green or a gold. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it's a little bit intimidating. You're like, okay, uh, they've got a – future first rounder at 3 technique they've got a future first rounder at nose guard um all of their dbs are returning starters who are leading the country right now and their linebacker yeah he's young but he's currently leading the sec in tackles and you're like all right and so right off the bat you're kind of thinking okay this is uh, this is going to be a tough challenge and 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 every week in the sec i mean you see players that are going to be you know future first rounders whether it's at one position or another but you don't typically see them just all over that scouting report. And so it's it's a little bit intimidating when you first get that scouting report. Then you start watching the film and you can see a difference. The way those guys get off of the ball, you know, their first step, no wasted movements. You're seeing coverages pre-snap and then they're getting to something else post-snap. Or you're seeing a coverage where you're like, oh, hey, this play that these guys are running against them should totally work. But it doesn't work because they've got some athletes that even though they're, you know, liable based on the the call or the defensive coverage, they're physically talented enough to say, yeah, hey, we will lock you up one on one and leave that safety in what's not a great position, but he's going to make a play. And so sometimes it's a little it's a little like discouraging, almost watching some of that film because you realize, man, the, the best way to get these guys is, is a true one on one matchup where it's hey your guy versus their guy and so you know I remember at Arkansas that was that was our game plan was hey let's find our best matchup that we can and that was Traylon Burks on their linebackers or their nickelbacker and we're gonna let him eat and we're gonna run guys off and we're gonna let Traylon Burks eat I mean he's a true freshman at the time but we knew the talent that he had at Arkansas and and sure enough we go out there and, and I think it was the first third down or the second third down Uh, we ran two guys on vertical routes and we had Traylon on an option and we're thinking, okay, he's going to get one-on-one coverage. Well, Alabama has a good game plan as well. And they double covered him. (laughs) And so now you've got to go to your second best matchup, which is against their best DB, or you go to your third best matchups and now you're kind of going down, you know, not a guy that you're typically going to say is going to win every one on one ball. And it's their second best DB Oh, and by the way, he's also, that DB is going to be a first round pick this next year. And so it's it, it's it's about choosing your one-on-ones wisely and then finding them when they are in zone coverage, finding ways to get guys open. And uh, I remember, I think it was 2018 uh, when Coach Fisher was at his first year at A&M. We were playing at Alabama and we had a a great game plan like I absolutely loved our game plan we were getting a little bit more zone coverage and we got into a two tight end personnel set and we ended up running a a a corner and a post by the two tight ends that were kind of right stacked on top of each other and the whole week we knew okay if we get this coverage this will torch them and sure enough we get down there get the correct coverage we end up hitting I'm pretty sure we hit Jay Sternberger right over the middle for a touchdown and those are the type of plays where if the moment is too big or if you have been thinking, like, oh, it's Alabama, like, I don't really know what to do, you miss those throws, and now the game's out of hand. And so I think it's about, hey, let our game plan work, establish the run a little bit, get them into some zone coverages, and then allow these play callers to to dial up, you know, the proper play. And uh, you, you can't beat yourself when you play Alabama. You don't want it to ever be – I got to make a hero play. I've got to, you know, I've got to do something out of the ordinary. All you've got to do is go in there and execute your game plan and and bring that thing to the fourth quarter, and then it's anybody's game.
1: So coming into this game, I mean, the spread is, I, I believe it's uh, like two and a half points in Alabama's favor. A and M and Alabama are the only teams in the SEC West who haven't had a loss. Everyone else has is, is had a loss. I, I know in your time in the SEC, it was never that wide open, but but do you as a player look around and kind of see what's going on in the West to, to know that like, if you're in AM's case right now, this could be the de facto SEC West title game?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. And I, I know you got to take it one week at a time. And that was always my, you know, my MO as a player was, okay, I'm just going to take this one week at a time this is the most important game this is the most important play that we're running right now I'm not worried about what's down the road but when you do have that free time I mean you think about those things and and the implications of it I mean we always wanted to play an SC championship game and 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 we never got there and so this is that next step for these guys and, you know if they can handle this one it's not a handle this one and we're in but it's hey, let's handle this task this week. And I think we're really going to like where we're at if we do. Um, and, and so I think it's a great opportunity. I don't think that it's just completely off of the guys' minds, but they're going to take this week like it is the most important week. And, and, and that's just how Jimbo operates. You know, his method of of win stands for what's important now. What's the most important thing right now? Winning this game. We'll figure out the SC Championship when we get there. But right now it's about this game right here.
1: Yeah, Nick, thanks so much again for giving us some time. Who do the uh, Sea Kings have this week? Sea Kings have
2: Fountain Valley High School in Huntington Beach, and uh, we're excited—another home game for uh, or a return to home for us. We've been on the road for like a month, and so <laughs> we're trying to get our groove back in the home stadium.
1: There you go. There you go. That's Nick Starkle, former Texas A&M quarterback, Arkansas, San Jose State. Uh, Just just college football extraordinaire all over the place. Uh, He's here every week. We'll talk to him again next week. Thanks so much uh, for watching, and be sure to check TheEagle.com for all of our coverage leading up to that big game against Alabama this weekend. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle alongside Eagle Sports Editor Robert Sesta. And it's that time of the week to look at the other side of the field and what A&M will face in this big matchup against Alabama Saturday at Kyle Field at 2.30. And we have Nick Kelly from the Tuscaloosa News here to help us look at that Crimson Tide side. Uh, Nick, how are you? How's the week going? And uh, are you ready for some mid-70s temperatures?
0: I'm good. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. Bring it on. I mean, hey, if it gets to 60s, I'm okay with that, too. I mean, I, I'm ready to start uh, wearing my fall clothing, so that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at, but uh, good to be with you guys.
1: For sure. Uh, let's start out with this the same way we start all of these. What are some of the biggest headlines for the Crimson Tide heading into the game this weekend?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest headline is Jalen Mero playing pretty well, and the offensive line is playing pretty well because... Especially on that second front, it's not been great from the offensive line for Alabama this season. Uh, but finally, there's reason for encouragement, I think, from the offense, from the offensive line. Just a lot of positions that have been suspect early on are starting to play better, which maybe it was a case if they need some time. But overall, I think there was some serious concern early on about the offense, especially. The defense struggled against Texas, but I mean, Texas is a good team. They've got a great offense. And so that's not surprising considering it was the second game of the season. Uh, but the defense is rounding into form, but the offense is starting to get better, too. But the question is, will that translate against a better team in A&M and also on the road against that better team? So I'm very curious to see how, how this team responds and how it does this week.
1: And for those who might not have followed Alabama closely, kind of. Take a step back and pull back the curtain on the saga that has been Jaden Milroe and the uh, Crimson Tide quarterback situation early in the season and then leading into this week.
0: Yeah, well, in truth, I think fans are realizing how spoiled they've been at quarterback for the past however many seasons with Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. I mean, that's a ridiculous lineup of quarterbacks that they've had over that span and. And most schools don't have have that kind of run. And that's eventually it was going to end, so to speak. And not that Jalen's a bad quarterback. It's just that he's maybe not quite that level. It's some of these guys they've had who have been Heisman winners like Bryce or Heisman finalists like some others. So um, I think there's been a little bit back to reality of that, hey, your quarterback is not guaranteed to be a future NFL starter, essentially. Uh, but Jalen has a lot of stuff that, uh, there is to like there. So anyways, they went to the competition. Uh, they went into the offseason in a competition, I should say, with Jalen Morrow, Ty Simpson, They brought Tyler Buckner in from Notre Dame, and they were mainly competing. They also had freshman Dylan Lonergan, who kind of surprised someone who's like, oh, this guy's looking pretty good. I don't know that he's ever seriously got in the thick of the competition, but he did enough to where he's slowly but surely, you know, walked into that conversation at least. Um, Jalen started the, at the front of the pack, though, just because he was the, senior most member of the position. Uh, and he never really lost that position. And so he wanted the seasons, the starter against Middleton, Tennessee, played really well, had five against Texas. He had a few turnovers. And so then against South Florida, they started Tyler Buckner. It was a disaster, frankly. And just they couldn't get anything going. The offense was flat. They put but in Ty Simpson, was, uh, it was either late first half or early second half in that game against South Florida. Alabama won, but they only put up, I think, 17 points against the South Florida team that they should have put up way more points against. So then they go back to Jalen, Saban names him the starter, and Jalen started in the Ole Miss game, and then he started in the Mississippi State game, and now he's expected to be the starter in this game, and so he's their guy, and, and so it's been a little rocky at times. Jalen, AM fans I'm sure will remember this game last season, where he had, I think, three turnovers in the first half uh, of that game, which is not how you want to start. And that was his first start of his career. He's filling in for Bryce Young. He's come a long way since then. Is he a finished product? Definitely not, but he's come a long way since that game. And we'll see how far away he's come. He didn't have any turnovers against Mississippi State. That was big. We'll see if he can do that against Texas A&M.
3: You know, a couple of things is, you know, our our side over here, we all thought Wegman was going to be the quarterback, and he was. Sometimes I think the beat writers know a little bit more than the coaches, not that Nick Saban ever makes any mistakes. But were you guys – was the beat writer surprised when Will Rowe got benched for that second game, or did you guys have him as a starter even with the bad bad opening game?
0: Yeah, we weren't surprised necessarily. Um me personally, I would have given him a little bit longer of a leash. But kind of the the operating theory to an extent is Saban wanted to see what his other guys could do, and South is a good chance to do that. Um, and so they had a chance to see what Ty Simpson could do. They had a chance to see what Tyler Buckner could do. Tyler Buckner especially showed that he's not the answer. Ty Simpson, maybe with some more time, could be more of the answer. But still, the offense didn't have near the juice that it did with Jalen Morrow. And so I think that proved that to Saban, proved it to the teammates. And so that when Saban decided to name Milrow the guy, he basically can say to his players, look, you've seen them all. And not that he's saying this directly, but by his actions, he's, he's saying, look, you've seen them all. Jalen's the guy you should probably get behind. Not that they weren't behind before, but I think that if there was any question, that was answered after South Florida. So um, it wasn't terribly surprising. Again, I maybe if it was purely based on how well he played or didn't play, like I still would have probably kept him in. Um, but I, the sense I've gotten is that Saban wanted to see the other guys play. That was a good game to do it. They did. Didn't go super well. And so Jalen's the guy.
3: Nick, you brought up a good point about the fact is, you know, when A&M has played Alabama, they've had Heisman Trophy-type players in the backfield, out at wide receivers. They've had Outland, outland Trophy winner types in the, in the line. They don't seem to have those. So who are the playmakers, and how does Alabama win on offense?
0: That's a great question. And frankly, I'm not sure considering a defense, you guys know no better than me, but from afar she seems really solid. Uh, really good. I don't know if, if running or passing is better against them considering they seem to defend both well based on what I saw statistically. Uh, um, but it's, this this game, if, if Alabama's got weapons, they're going to have to step up. If not, it's, it could be a long game for Alabama. I mean, because to your point, they don't have those elite, elite playmakers like they have had at times. And that, that's not even necessarily a knock on what they have. It's just that, again, they've had such ridiculous talent at receiver, for example, mm-hmm. that anything less seems like you have this big downgrade. Like They've got solid weapons. It's just not, they don't have a, a receiving backfield that's, a receiving group that is Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, all at one time. Like, that That was ridiculous. And, you know, probably won't be having that anytime soon again. Um, but Jermaine Burton is probably one of the the top guys to watch for. Georgia transfer. Uh, had, a, had a solid year last year, but um, still wasn't too consistent. He came on later in the year. This year, he's been Milrose pretty much top deep threat. Um, he, he's not a Jamison Williams, just pure ridiculous electric speed type. Um, but he's got enough speed where he, he can take the top off the defense. He, he does well at locating the ball. So Jalen likes to find him on deep passes. Isaiah Bond's a fast guy a receiver who um, has made some plays. Malik Benson was the top Juco transfer receiver. Um, he's solid. He hasn't been a big playmaker, but he, he's seen probably the most snaps along with those guys. But the guy to watch for is probably Amari Nyblack. I've been advocating for for Tommy Reese, the OC, to get him the ball more, and, and he has not because I've advocated for it, but uh, but but I think he's been smart to do that because Amari Nevillek is a mismatch at tight end, and he does good things happen when he gets the football. Um, so he, he's got to watch that. I think Alabama has targeted more recently, and be, would be wise to against A So that's what I'm watching for, for in terms of those groups. Um, Running back, they've got some solid runners in like Jace McClellan and Roydale Williams. They'll run you over. I mean, there's some tough runners. Uh, Home run speed is there to an extent with Jace. Um, Roydell is more of that grinded out kind of bowling ball type guy. Uh, And so that's kind of what's expected from the running backs. And offensive line, you know, as you said, they don't quite have the uh, across the way, um, maybe dominance like they've had at some points. But they do have two guys, J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker, that, man, if you get in their way, if you don't mind your P's and Q's and get good leverage, they'll put you on your butt. I mean, they will <laughs> they play the, they play nasty-style football, especially Tyler Booker. He's the left guard, and that dude will move some guys. So they've got some movers. The biggest thing for them is their, is their pass protection, uh, trying to make sure that's solid because they have a true freshman left tackle in Caden Proctor, one of the highest-rated recruits in the country, but he's still 18. He's a true freshman, and so there's been an acclimation period. He's gotten better, but uh, still has gotten or uh, still has some areas where he needs to get better. So that's kind of the, the offensive outlook for you. And, and I'm very curious to see if this Alabama offense can compete with the Texas A&M defense.
1: Yeah, you mentioned it right there going into my next question. And that's the, the the matchup that intrigues me the most in this is A&M's pass rush, which has recorded 14 sacks in the last two games against Alabama's pass blocking, which has allowed several a lot of sacks in the last couple of games. What has kind of been the reasoning why they've been a teams have been able to get so much pressure on Milrow and, and bring him down so far early in the season.
0: That's a great question. And if I had the answer, i might be, uh, doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, to me, it really, it's, I mean, there's a lot of factors to it. One it's just getting a group to gel together. Uh, two, you got a true freshman left tackle who there's an acclimation period. Even, even though I think Kane Proctor is gonna be a great player long-term he's 18 years old and, and even just getting your body in physical shape to play college football takes some time. Um, but also some of the, the rushes they've sent, like the blitzing has been creative by some uh, defensive coordinators so that they're matching up a, a, say a safety or a cornerback blitzing against this big left tackle. That's not going to go well, no matter how good you are, even if you're, you know, Andrew Whitworth or some, some great uh, left tackle out there. And so, so that doesn't help so some of it some has been scheming that needs to improve some of it's been on Jalen Milro in terms of making sure that he gets rid of the ball he, you know he doesn't wait too long um because it, it also the the pressures you know he has to help set the uh protection and and so that's a learning process for the quarterback as well um, so that's been a little bit of an error at times um sometimes the running backs or fullback or he's more of a tight end but robbie Outz, uh he gave up a sack last week and so it's been a, just a combination of different things and different issues it's not purely the five offensive linemen have always struggled um they could use more help in different ways and so it it's uh it's a work in progress and and what exactly is the source of it i don't know but those are some of the things that it's about to me is um some issues that they need to correct
3: what about uh, let's go to the other side nick defense because in 2015 i remember a hype hype top 10 game here Uh, Alabama came in as only a three-point favorite. They returned like three interceptions of Kyle Allen for a touchdown, and they won the game really on defense because uh, Alabama's defense was so good. Uh, How is that defense? Can this defense come in? Can this defense win a game like that? I
0: think so. I mean, to me, I'm much more optimistic about this defense than the offense right now. And there's reason for optimism about the offense, but I mean – I think the defense is what's going to be what wins this team most games they're in. Um, Because defensively, they've got some dudes. I mean, on the edge, they've got Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, uh, who lead the SEC in pressures right now for any duo, um, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, Dallas Turner, he's got numbers right now that aren't far off of what Will Anderson had in 2021. Um, And actually, Dallas Turner's numbers are in some ways better than Will Anderson was a year ago. So, it, you've got two guys there as kind of the cornerstones of the defense. Um, you've also got some linebackers who can fly around. Deontay Lawson uh, is one of their best players, and he's a little banged up right now with an ankle injury. Not sure if he'll play or not. Uh, but you've got Jihad Campbell who came in and played really well. He had an interception against Mississippi State. We've got Trez Marshall, the former Georgia uh, inside linebacker, uh, and he uh, he's a veteran there. The secondary, though, might be, to me, the strength of that group because you have got two safeties who played well. Caleb Downs is a true freshman, and he does not play like it. He just won Freshman of the Week this past week. Um, he's had a few mistakes here and there, but overall he's been really solid. Uh, but at cornerback, they've got Colleen McKinstry and on Arnold, which a and fans will probably remember uh, on Arnold because Jimbo went after him quite a bit last year. He was also the cornerback in that last uh, play at the side of the game. Um, those two are very experienced, very talented uh, cornerbacks who ha- have fared well this year. And Teron's taking the next step. Kool-Aid was great last year. Kool-Aid's been really solid this year too. Uh, but Teron's improving as well because guys like Jimbo, Lane Kiffin went after him throughout last season. And so he's used to being targeted. So they've got a really solid secondary. Malachi Moore who's their uh, their fifth defensive back, so to speak, but he's not really because he might be their best defensive back, but they love using him in that star position uh, to move him around. So there's a good chance you might see him lined up against an Aniah Smith in the slot kind of thing. Um, so a lot to like about the secondary. Last week, they had a defensive touchdown off a of pick six from Chris Braswell. So they can score. Uh, they're forcing turnovers. They're getting interceptions. L- last year, last two years, really, um, They weren't necessarily forcing turnovers to the extent that they maybe have in past years. Um, More so last year was the worst year. Um, But this year, they're getting back to, okay, we're playing disruptive football, forcing turnovers. So this defense, I think, can keep Alabama in this game. But the offense is going to have to do its part. It can't just rely on the defense.
1: Well, let's uh, end it with this. Uh, I know you've mentioned it pieces throughout. But what do you think are some of the uh, most important keys for Alabama to be successful this weekend at Kyle Field?
0: Well, they gotta protect Jalen Monroe. Starts there. If you can't do that, it's gonna be a long night. Um, but I also think that it's, it's making sure that you get after Max Johnson and making sure that, that, that he can't be comfortable because that's gonna go a long way in disrupting what Adam wants to do offensively. So it's, it's protecting against the pass rush and it's getting pass rush are the two biggest things. It might sound obvious, but I think in this game, that's where it's gonna be won in a lot of ways because you got talented guys on both sides of the ball both teams um, and really Alabama can't find itself too far behind because you're playing on the road, in an intense environment. And if you find yourself behind this offense has big playability, but not to the extent that maybe it did two seasons ago with James Williams and John Metchie and Bryce Young throwing the football to them. So you've got to stay in the game. You've got to do your best to, to quiet that crowd noise and not make mistakes. And that's the biggest thing that Nick Saban talks about. Is you got to play winning football which well duh who you know you're not trying to play losing football but just he means that in the sense of you have to do things that don't lose you games like getting dumb penalties or they've had snap issues at times uh from the center to uh, jail and the shotgun uh, so it's not having bad snaps it's not making mental mistakes and so alabama can't afford those mistakes because <clears throat> this team is not i would say talented enough offensively to have a bunch of mistakes and stay in games So those are some of the biggest keys to me, and I think it's going to be a really tough test. I think this might be Alabama's toughest game the rest of the way uh, up until the postseason that is on the schedule because it's on the road and against a solid Texas A&M team.
3: And that reminds me, if I could ask one more thing, Nick, you know, obviously Alabama always gets the best shot. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking since A&M won two years ago and came close last year uh, around the community, do you feel A&M has gone up the the food chain a little bit and who Alabama wants to beat or not?
0: I think yes and no. I I mean, obviously A&M is not an Auburn or a LSU in terms of just a, or Tennessee, frankly, for just an old traditional rival, so to speak. But um whether it's the fireworks last you know season between Jimbo and Saban, or if it's uh I mean even even this week what Anaya Smith said yesterday. I mean there's plenty of fuel there and, and you add in the fact that A&M's played them close the last two games. I mean beat them two games ago. Uh so I think but there just aren't a ton of guys still from that team. I mean, so it's not necessarily a revenge game, but but I think there is enough animosity between the two that this isn't just another sec game
1: sure uh nick before we let you go where uh can people find your work and you on social media
0: yeah you can find me on twitter or x i should be calling it uh, at underscore nick kelly and check out our work at the myself and chase goodbread and others just all kinds of content so uh yeah just appreciate uh, you guys
1: having me for sure uh, Nick thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time if y'all are watching this on the eagle.com thanks for giving us a watch or if you're listening on the Miami Nation podcast uh, thank you so much and uh, we'll talk to you again next week
0: it seems like every day everything just has a way the way to must have seen. but if we don't watch what we're doing our hearts we'll get ruined by silly things Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true and if we wanna keep it We gotta watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. do wanna make sure, my baby Make sure you sticking with me i wanna make sure that we'll be all there